Hi, beautiful beings. Welcome to the Joanne Oswell Jones podcast. I'm Joanne, your host. And today, joining me on the show is a guest who's truly learned to overcome some serious challenges in her life and learned how to connect to her strength within. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. In many respects, Rebecca's story is quite sad, but it's also very inspirational at the same time. So let's jump right in and find out how this incredible woman went from growing up in a strict and frightening religious cult, which she was disfellowshipped at the age of 19, due to having sex before marriage, which was considered a sin. And subsequently, she was cut off and ignored by friends, family and the world at large, to blossoming into a beautiful, strong, independent woman who, through her own personal self-help work, has found her strength and belief within. Are you ready? Let's go. Rebecca, how are you? Hi, I'm really good, thank you. It's so lovely to have you here on the show. Thank I'm, you. I'm really pleased that you've, um, wow, what a journey you have been on. And some incredible experiences and challenges like I haven't read in quite a long time. And I know that you've, um, so you've been, you've just recently gone from being a corporate saleswoman with a six-figure income to specializing in spiritual life coaching. So that's like a fascinating journey in itself. Yes. Um, but it's not always been fascinating, has it? No, it hasn't. Um, no. And so what I, as you know, this show is all about personal development. It's about human potential and emotional healing. And I very much believe that we come into this lifetime with challenges and burdens and it's a way of our soul choosing to evolve and for us as a person to evolve. And um, you've certainly been on a journey of evolving this lifetime. That is for sure. Yep. <laughs> I think today would be so amazing to hear your story. And let's look at some of those challenges and, you know, awakening and burdens and where you've come from and where you're going to. And let's start with the beginning because you were born into a religious cult weren't you yes I was yeah uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses do you want to talk to us because I know that journey in itself which was 19 years because at the age of 19 you were disfellowshipped mm -hmm. can you can you share with us what that was all about and I'm fascinated because you hear about various religions and different types of upbringing. Um, but from our conversation and some of the notes that I've read, it wasn't always the happiest of, of childhoods, was it? No, um, there obviously are happy memories um, that I have. And I think when people think of Jehovah's Witnesses, there are, they think of them as a, as a kind and trusting group of people which they are and then they're often shocked when they hear about my experience of it um so yes born into that religion um and at age 19 abruptly kind of it's kind of a story of being disfellowshipped once and then a bit further down the line deciding to leave myself after the experience of the disfellowshipment and um, you know, there's lots of good memories, as I said, 
um, Jehovah's Witnesses weddings full of barn dances and fun. I remember those. Lots of big family um, get-togethers because I have got a large family. But unfortunately, I'd probably say 50% of that family I um, haven't seen since I was 19 and I'm now 44. Wow. So there's a there's a grandmother. Um, my granddad, who's passed now, um, was one of the ones that disowned me when I got disfellowshipped. Um, but fortunately, I was able to visit him in the hospital and go to his funeral. So that was nice. But no contact as I was at those things with anybody. So what kind of happened was born into that religion. Um, experiences from school were being separated out at assemblies when the hymns were read with other Jehovah's Witness children. I think there was about three of us. So there was my sister and then, then another Jehovah's Witness child. So when the hymns come on, we leave the assembly and sit outside the room because it was dangerous for us to hear these religious hymns. And then at Christmas time, when there was all craft making, making Christmas cards and that, um, Usually it was my mum, I think, who came in and took us out to another room and we read, like, things about Bible stories and Jehovah's Witness stuff. And my understanding is that um, within the Jehovah's Witness, um, celebrations like birthdays and Christmases are not part of the religion. No. They're not celebrated. Is that right? That's right, yes. So I always say when people ask me about this like it was never an issue that while I was in it because when you're born without Christmas and birthdays it's fine it was only an issue when you're the only person at school who's not coming back after Christmas talking about all the presents that you've got and when somebody asked you what you got at Christmas it was like nothing and then there was ridicule around that as well so kind of bullying as well at school and uh did you ever think um when you were little it's very difficult isn't it when you're when you when you're born into a situation um that for all you know to all intents and purposes is totally normal right it's mm. it's your upbringing but did you ever think when you were younger at school and you'd go back and you'd hear that all these other children so i'm 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 assuming talking you know 20 30 plus all these other children were talking about oh and mummy and daddy got me this or father christmas got me that did you ever think maybe i'm the one or my family are doing something wrong because everybody else seems to be enjoying and celebrating did that ever cross your mind i think there's a feeling of being different and maybe we're a bit odd because because we're different so you know identifying as maybe a bit weird which is a massive trigger when I left my corporate sales job and started doing all this spiritual work like one of the things I've got to get over is people thinking oh she's gone crazy and weird you know and I think that that's from there that trigger um but I guess it wasn't something that I thought, oh, I wish I could have Christmas as a child. Now, one thing that our family used to do to kind of make up for it, so obviously they felt bad about it, didn't they, by doing this? We used to have what was called present giving days on an alternative day to Christmas, because we couldn't do it on Christmas, um, which is where our family would get together. There'd be piles of presents for each child and we'd open them. So 
that was their alternative to Christmas, which in my head now I'm thinking, well, they obviously felt guilty and that they had to compensate. Yeah. <laughs> That so, interesting. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then as I grew up in uh, that religion, obviously because my character is, I want to be all involved and I'm ambitious, so I ended up becoming a pioneer, which is somebody that does, I think it was, a, I think your target was 90 hours a month of knocking on doors and preaching. So, can I just ask, who set these rules? I, well, there was a hierarchy in the congregations. It was men, males, obviously. Um, And they were either ministerial servants, which was the lower level, and then elders was the highest level. Elders were often, like, men over the age of 50. Okay. So they, they would be... I don't know, I suppose, equivalent of a, a, a priest, a pastor, a managing director. They were sort of at the yeah. structure. Effect. Yes. Okay. And anything yeah. you wanted to do, did that have to be filtered up through to um, mission? It wasn't really like that. You were just made aware of the rules from all of the studying and the meetings. So Jehovah's Witnesses had three meetings a week, Tuesday. Tuesday nights, like um, a Bible study in somebody's home. Mm-hmm. And then Thursday evening and Sunday morning or afternoon. And these meetings are like two hours each. So from birth, wow. that was how many meetings we had. And studying as well in between that, personal study. So <laughs> on top of your curriculum, on top of your education. Yes. Wow. Okay, that's yeah. intense. Yeah, so you kind of knew all the rules from all of that teaching. So you knew what to do and what not to do. Um, so I got baptised at the age of 11 in front of a massive congregation on stage. And uh, from there, I decided to become a full-time pioneer. So at the age of 11, you wanted to become a full-time pioneer? No, I, I did that when I left school because it would have been impossible. I think as soon as I left school, I went into the pioneer. I didn't choose to go to college or uni that's kind of looked down upon or it was back then I think they've changed a little bit um it was you know um it was looked down upon because at that point you would have actually discovered there's more to life you know sort of between the ages of 16 to 22 per se it's like okay you're you're less controllable for one Mm -hmm. and then you're mixing in new circles so no wonder it was then frowned upon that you know Mm -hmm. you don't enter into that world Mm. yeah exactly um the other thing about getting baptized at that age I do feel that it was too young and again I think now they've they've done something about it they've moved the age up because this whole disfellowshipping thing which I'm going to talk about and family not speaking to me is happening only because I was baptized so there are other people who were not baptised in my family, who have done the same thing as me for getting disfellowshipped, which was sex before marriage. Okay. And they still get to speak to their family. So it was this act of being baptised that has caused all of this trauma in my life, which is crazy. And the fact that I got baptised at age 11, and yes, there's a process you go through to get baptised. There's a period of study and there's interviews and are you ready? And you go, yes, yes, yes. But at age 11, I just think you're not in your 
right mind to make those big decisions. Well, also, I think, you know, possibly not in your right mind, but, you know, did your parents and um, the elders explain to you what it meant? You know, I think, it. you know, children, if they're feeling insecure, if they've grown up feeling um, not sort of strong within themselves or not anchored in some ways, of course, they want to please, right? They, you know, they want to please other people. So, you know, maybe at age 11, there you were desperately just wanting to please. Mm, good point. Being, yeah. Being a good girl and being baptized would be seen as, you know, and you'd get your moment and you'd get your day. But like you say, I mean, I mean, did anyone explain to you what, what being baptized meant? I mean, they didn't say if you break any of the rules, um, you could go through, you know, 20 years of never seeing or speaking to your grandma again and also have to have like two years of therapy to deal with this massive rejection and betrayal wound <laughs> they, you know they don't tell you that when you want to get baptized you know maybe they should <laughs> yeah 100%. yeah so you got baptized and then you decided that you wanted to become a pioneer tell us about that yeah so um left school and college and uni was looked down upon so I got myself a cleaning job actually at Debenhams in Derby um buffing the floors with this big machine so I'd work there dead early in the morning and then it would be out preaching all day so one of the things I am grateful for about the Jehovah's Witnesses is uh, they taught me like to be studious to study and how to speak which is obviously really beneficial for my business now and there was lots of times when I was asked to go on the platform at assemblies and uh, speak on there so it got me used to public speaking um, and to learning and methods of learning so I am grateful for that and I did enjoy the pioneering although now it's funny there's reoccurring dreams I have where I'm out on the ministry knocking on doors and often I'm at these big assemblies, you know, the big assemblies they have in football grounds, mm -hmm. like with thousands and thousands of Jehovah's Witnesses. So often in my dreams, I'm back at them and nobody's talking to me or looking at me. Um, yeah. Well, when you were saying that, you know, you were doing these presentations and you were pioneering or you were, I'm assuming you were trying to introduce the idea of becoming a Jehovah Witness or what that religion meant to non-Jehovah Witnesses or what? Yeah, the idea of um, doing this preaching work is we're saving people. So we believe Armageddon is coming, which is the destruction of the world and the destruction of the bad people. I'm saying we, I'm, I'm not in it, I'm just putting myself in the mindset. Um, and only Jehovah's Witnesses will be saved at that event. So if I can knock on your door and make you a Jehovah's Witness, I've saved you. So that's the mentality behind what we were doing i'm i'm speechless yeah that's what they believe only jehovah's witnesses in fact my father who i have i don't have a relationship with but he's decided to go back into the jehovah's witnesses has emailed my sister recently to try and convince and my mother to try and convince them to come back because the end of the world is nigh and jehovah's witnesses are the only ones that are going to be saved that's what his message said Gosh, it's um, it's 
you know mind manipulation isn't it mm, yeah um and i was thinking about this this morning that um it's a constant battle in terms of healing myself but not feeling anger towards what's happened to me and what helps me not feel anger and i'm not going to lie i still have a bit of anger i've still got to work with it is understanding that when i was in the religion i would have done exactly the same thing i would have refused blood um i would have disowned somebody who got disfellowship so that makes me then have compassion for them because they don't know any better you know that's what they have experienced and believe they believe and and isn't that it that's so true you know sometimes we get so triggered um actually there's a i do a little bit of studying a course in miracles and um it's a spiritual psychotherapy um program and it's about learning to come from love and not fear and in one of the lessons it basically the course of miracles asks you to take a look around you and basically you'd say you know that door has no meaning um that that washing basket does not mean anything or this hand does not mean anything and so you just gently just say that throughout the day and um there's a story of marianne williamson who has um been teaching a course of miracles for many years and she she's an incredible um, ambassador for the course and she had met somebody at a party and this guy happened to say to her oh yeah you know i study a course in miracles and and um he said but i you know i i just don't get it he said well what does it mean you know that door has no meaning or that that street lamp you know doesn't mean anything and then he, during this conversation with Marion, he went on to say that he had recently split up with his partner and his partner was sending him nasty texts. OK, and she said, you know, if you'd really understood that that door has no meaning or that chair does not mean anything, those texts would have no meaning. Mm. And so it's really fascinating when you start to look at it and go, you know, to let go of sort of anger, frustration, pain. And listen, I know when I think back to some of the things that my um, ex-husband and his new wife would say to our children, um, some of the things they would say about me used to trigger me so much. Mm -hmm. But it's and it's trying to get to the point where, you know, which is what you're saying. It's trying to get to the point of going, wow, how strange that they would think that. Oh, well, you know, that's their stuff. Wish them well and and stay in your own center. Right. And carry yeah. on. It's a exactly. process. It's a process. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, so and, um, you're right by saying you'd say, oh, yeah, I, I get it. I, I see where they're coming from. You know, wish them yeah. and all of that. It's that they're not. They're not coming from a place of hate by doing, by, well, they didn't come from a place of hate doing what they're doing, still doing today. They believe that by, um, by doing this to me, I'll go, oh no, I need my family back. I can't cope and go back to the religion. <laughs> that's what, that's what they think that they're doing and that, that will be the effect they'll have on me, but being the stubborn and uh, <laughs> stubborn type person I am, I'm like, no way, I don't do conditional love. 
Um, I want. Here's a question though, what you just said, they don't come from hate, okay? They come from a belief that they're actually genuinely saving you and genuinely yeah. helping you. But do you think that is true, maybe of your parents, but do you think that is true of the cult? Do you think that is true of the leaders and the elders? Because to me, it's mm. like mind control. Mm. Well, I do believe all religions were put in place for mind control to rule by fear. Yes, I would agree. So with the top people of the organisation of Jehovah's Witnesses, maybe that is a an evil place and a place of hate, you know. But, but it's the followers, yeah. Yeah. Which is why I define it as a cult. Yeah. So that makes sense. So, so you know, the elders at the top know exactly, and it's mind control and fear-based emotions, but it's portrayed and put across to the followers, as you call it, to the congregation, I suppose, and the people who yeah. are Jehovah Witnesses as love, care, support, you know, yeah. we're looking after you. And of course, you got caught up in all that crossfire. Yes. Um, and one thing I, I wanted to say that I, I've just discovered in the last two days, because I'm training in a new healing modality, and um, the emotion that this caused from the disfellowship here, I think I hold it in my hips because I'm working with a masseuse and they've told me I've got the tightest hips they've ever seen. So when I sit cross-legged in yoga, my knees are up here. They're not down. So I've been trying to work out what emotion is in the hips. And I've just discovered doing this healing training that in the hips on one side, there's a rejection center or wound. I can't remember how they call it. And on the other side, there's a betrayal in the hips. Yes, and energetically, um, I can't remember which medicine it's in because I know when I was um, in practice and studying natural healing, um, the hips, if you have an imbalance in your hips and a weakness in your hips on an on a emotional, spiritual, energetic level, it says you're not following the life path that is meant for you. Ah, oh, interesting. So that could well be that that's where that was manifesting. Yeah. You know, behind every physical manifestation of imbalance or pain is an emotional suppression. It's a communication from your higher self. So the hips. Yeah. So that would indicate that that was not the path for you. Yeah. I don't have hip pain and I don't have any trouble walking. It's when I come to doing these yoga moves, anything to do with my hips. I'm like, I'm looking at everybody else and I just... Yeah. I've got no mobility or flexibility and then say that is something that I'm majorly working on and the day that my knees finally fall to the floor in a yoga pose I'll know that I've finally <laughs> healed that wound <laughs> yeah uh, so okay so let's go back so you then started preaching yes and that was age 16 or so yeah and things must have been okay probably till around age 17 18 when there was a couple of girls, Jehovah's Witness girls, who were kind of, we call it worldly, were starting to, well, they call it, I keep saying we, I'm not in the Jehovah's Witnesses anymore. They call it worldly behaviour. And I started hanging around with them. And I remember we went to first nightclub and I was like, wow, what is this? And um, I met a guy, I had my first cigarette, felt like a total rebel. And of course, because you're raised in a bubble and sex isn't talked about at all, 
because it's believed that you get married and have sex. Mm-hmm. Um, I slept with a guy and got pregnant straight away. Oh, bless you. <laughs> straight away. Um, so what happened there was I confided in my sister and Abby must have, you know, at the time I was obviously furious with her. Now I completely understand where she was coming from because she would have been thinking if I don't tell mum and dad what my sister's done you know then I'm gonna die at Armageddon that that would have been her brain pattern so one Thursday night meeting arrived back home and saw elders cars parked outside my house and my heart sank walked into the house so mum and dad would have known about this walked into the house and there's elders sat in my lounge on a sofa and they let me know that uh, they know that I've had sex and then from then on, it was a, it was like um, there's a judicial committee set up. I had to attend a meeting on my own with three elders, which was like a courtroom set up. Um, and I was interrogated. I, I was asked how many times I, I, I had sex. So having a conversation like that with three elder men with nobody present, it was just me. Not very good. Yeah, it was horrible. And then there was lots of questions around, are you sorry? Are you repentant? Because that's the thing that they want to establish. And I was like, yes, obviously I am. But because of the crime that I've committed, I had to be disfellowshipped. So what happens then is it's announced from the congregation platform in a kingdom hall at a meeting. So I'm sat in the audience and they announce from the platform Sorry, a kingdom hall. What's a kingdom hall? Oh, yeah, that's their church. They call it kingdom halls. And is it in a church? No, it's more like a community centre building. Okay. But there's chairs with an audience and there's a platform. But there's no, like, stained windows and it's not an old building like a church. Okay. Um. So you announced from the platform, Sister Rebecca Phillips is disfellowship. There's, a, like, a <gasps> from the audience. Uh, and then from that day on, all the meetings that I attended, I had to go in last to the building and go first before anybody else. And there was no communication to be had. And family did not speak to me. I still lived at home with mum and dad and brothers and sisters. And they spoke to me in the house, but there was no socialising. So I remember one day I wanted to take my brothers swimming and I turned up in town. And mum was just there without them. And she said, I've taken the advice of the elders and I don't think. That should happen. I remember how I felt on that day. It was horrible. And, uh, yeah. Can I, can I just go back a second? Sorry, um, Rebecca, I'm really intrigued. So when you found out you had got pregnant, mm-hmm. obviously you had just had an intimate situation with this person that you didn't really know. Was he a Jehovah Witness? Oh, No. No, okay. No, it was a guy I met in a nightclub. He's actually Paige's dad. <laughs> okay, um, no. Paige's dad. Did he stick around? Did he? Um, oh, it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's um, another great story here. So, he was seeing somebody. Okay. Had a had a girlfriend, and I knew that because when I went to his flat, there's a picture of her on the wall. So, I feel a bit guilty around that. I continued to see him. And when I got pregnant, this is another great story. He looked a bit like ill (laughs) and told me, 
the other lady was pregnant at the same time. So Paige has a half-sister um, who's like a, a couple of weeks younger than her. Oh, lordy. Okay. So, so this then, is <laughs> then, then uh, it kind of kept on seeing them for a bit after Paige was born, but it fizzled out um, after that. It, Paige still sees them now, and we're friends now. Okay. Um, it just wasn't meant to be. No. And did you know you were pregnant? Did you... I mean, obviously, it was the first time you had had a... Oh, that's a really good question. I mean, did you know what was happening? Did you, did you, did you... I'm just trying to access those memories. Had anyone even talked to you about, you know, sex, intercourse? No. Marriage, you know, uh, sorry, pregnancy or periods or, you know... No. Okay, so you were really fumbling around in the dark there. Yes, and I'm trying to access those memories now. That's really interesting. All I remember is at the time there was a school friend that I confided in first. So I I can't actually remember how I found out. I mean, I would have done a pregnancy test. Mm. But I can remember a school friend, Deborah, who I used to go around and do homework, who I told I was pregnant, but I cannot remember. And I'm going to be thinking about this over the next few days now. Why I thought I might, well, obviously I'd had sex, so I thought that, that must have made me think. And then I'm guessing my period was late. That's what I'm guessing happened. But I remember I left my school friend's house and decided I was going to tell my parent, tell my mum. I do remember that day. And mum was, when I told mum, she just looked absolutely devastated. She wasn't angry. She just looked like the saddest person in the world when I told her. Did you feel a sense of liberation, though, after you had, you know, in a way committed what in the Jehovah Witness um, religion deems as a sin? Did you feel liberated? Did you feel that you had stepped into some sense of your own power as a woman and you had chosen this experience? No, I did not at all. I felt like a a failure, a sinner. I was going to die at Armageddon. I'd upset my parents, upset the congregation who saw me as this pioneer. So I felt like the worst person in the world. That's really sad. Yeah. And absolutely terrified because Mm. at the time I was living in my mum and dad's house and sharing a room with my sister. So. And so this disfellowship, so you would have to, firstly, how many people would there be attending these meetings at a kingdom hall? I think... I want to say between 150 and 200. I don't know if that's too many, but that's what it felt like. Okay, so let's say 100 plus um, members, Jehovah Witnesses. So you would have to walk in last and sit at the back Mm -hmm. and leave first. Would Mm -hmm. people turn around and look at you? Would you be shunned? Would they be like, that's the girl that's disfellowshipped? Oh, there'd be no looking or talking at me like I was invisible, I remember at the time. That must have been soul-destroying. Yeah, well, it's uh, it just makes you feel like... I can't put it into words, really. There's these people that you've spent 19 years with um, going to barbecues and weddings, and when you pioneer and you work in pairs, so building quite a lot of relationships, relationships with people, doing personal study with people. Um, and I think just it's a... It's a yeah, it's like, I think it's a betrayal that I, I wouldn't have known what it was at the time, 
Mm-hmm. But it's betrayal of people that you think loved you, but obviously they don't because they wouldn't treat you in, in that way. And you said, you said that you remained at home when you were disfellowshipped. How did that work? If people weren't allowed to speak to you, um, how did that work? Did your family speak to you or were you literally on your own? I mean, memory is a bit hazy, but I'm pretty sure mum, dad, brothers and sisters continued to speak to me in the house. Um, but it was just the no socialising, so not going out and doing anything. But yeah, people continued to, my, my, my what's it called, primary relatives spoke to me. First degree relatives spoke to me. Is that what it That's the phrase. Yeah, first degree is your parents and siblings, and then second degree is aunties, uncles, grandparents, cousins. So did the second degree family speak to you? I don't think so. No. No, because my grandparents walked past me in the street oh. once. I remember that. And and the first degree now I'm referring to them as the first degree. <laughs> and the first degree so your 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 parents and your siblings, when you were in your own home, I'm just curious, and I don't know if any of the listeners are curious, this because there's a it sounds like it was quite a um severe um type of style of living. Okay. Um, was it fun in the house? Did you have crack jokes with each other? Did you watch TV? Did you have like a normal life behind closed doors? Or you mean before being disfellowship? Yeah, 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 yeah. Before, before. yeah, I mean, yeah. I remember Sunday nights washing antiques roadshow and Little Lambs on the Prairie. I remember all the family sitting around watching the TV. We were very poor, so I do remember that. Um, like I didn't have the latest clothes and, and, uh, mum, dad didn't have, mum and dad didn't have the best relationships. So I remember the feelings around that. Mm-hmm. Um, there were fun things that we did. Like I said, the, the barn dances at weddings and there was big rounders games and um, that we all used to play on the fields. I remember those and the big family barbecues and roast dinners. So there were, were, but you're talking about in the family home, aren't you? I think in the family home, it was a bit of a, a sad affair. Um, I think as children, we picked up on the fact that mum and dad's relationship wasn't very good. The fact that we were poor and the worries that mum and dad had around that. And um, But it wasn't strict, um, as in, you know, we were, you know, from a religious perspective. Yeah. It wasn't like a strict, scary household yeah. um, with a regime. That, so we were lucky that that didn't happen in the family home. All that was picked up on around was the sadness around mum and dad not having a good relationship and the fact we didn't have a lot of money. I think as kids we felt that. So the religion didn't really have a have an impact in the in the main family home, which was good. And are Jehovah Witnesses, um, as adults, are they encouraged to go and work and, you know... Often window cleaners. If there's any ex-Jehovah's Witnesses listening, they'll be laughing now. It's uh, nearly every single Jehovah's Witness was a window cleaner. You'll probably find that your window cleaner is a Jehovah's Witness. (laughs) I have no idea why. Um, Obviously, the main reason is you're not having to work with worldly people. You're working on your own. 
Uh, and it's just a thing. I mean, my dad was a window cleaner. Yeah, and your mum? She was a homemaker. Homemaker, but mum... Hmm. Trying to remember when we were children. If she weren't, I don't think she did. Obviously, as we got older, she had um, had jobs. But, yeah, I don't think she weren't when we were little. I can't remember. I just kind of think any religion or any cult that doesn't encourage a family to prosper is not, mm. is not being of service to them. Yeah. So, again, I was reading something on this this morning about adopting you know if if your family were poor when you were younger and it was deemed that having lots of money and being rich you know was not to be desired um, it wasn't like a christian way because chosen this is a christian that you have to be careful that you don't adopt that as your mindset so mm-hmm. if you that's such a shame because money is energy and energy is love and yes and we are all abundant people and we deserve abundance so I work on that every day like getting rid of this lack mindset and and poverty mindset I can highly recommend the book called um I'll put it in the episode information as well called love money money loves you by Sarah McCrum and it's incredible she talks about how she channeled a message or money started to speak to her and you know it says money says and it is it's just an energy and that there is enough money the energy of money to make everybody in this world a billionaire and then some because it's infinite it's an mm. energy and we have to get that yeah, I, I bought the book and there's a PDF on it and it's it's incredible and it's about how money says, you know, love me, spend me, share with me, pay with me, you know, um, play with me, you know, um, do good with me, not not do good with me. I mean, it all has a choice, but I do believe that the energy of money would rather see um, fun and abundance rather than war weapons and you know drugs and etc but yeah a really fascinating book so uh, yeah I'll um I'll send you a link to it as well but okay so listen so we, we're at age 19 you've been disfellowshipped you were having to go into the kingdom hall and not be spoken to and leave and not be spoken to your grandparents ignored you walking down the street you weren't allowed to be out in public with friends, family, or siblings. So a pretty dark time in your life, I would mm. imagine. Yeah, it was. And again, I'm trying to access memories of that time. So I was obviously pregnant and disfellowshipped. So what happened then was, going through a period of proving to the elders that I was repentant and having regular meetings with them and studying. And I think a period of six months went by and they finally went, we we believe you're fully repentant now, Rebecca, and we're willing to reinstate you. So then at another meeting, it's announced from the platform sister, Rebecca Phillips is now reinstated. And then it was like a party atmosphere in the kingdom where everyone crowded around me. Welcome back, tears, hugs, blah, blah, blah. So that I'm back. Really crazy. Yeah, I think I'd kind of switched off feelings at that point. It was just like, so I'm back 
and I think I then gave birth and uh, I remember people visiting at my hospital. I've still got cards celebrating the birth of baby girl because I keep everything um, from the Jehovah's Witnesses at the time. There was a lot of support. Um, I moved into a mother and baby unit so that I could get a house. So I lived in a bedsit for a bit. Um, Why did you choose to move? So you, you weren't happy in the family home or at this point? There wasn't you... enough room. I was sharing a bedroom with my sister at the time. So my social worker at the time said the best option to get a house is to move out into a unit where you're in a bedsit mm-hmm. because then you go up on the list um, because you need a room for your daughter and a room, a separate room for you. So for about six months, I lived in a bedsit in a, a single room. And were you and, did you have any income? Did you have any support from the child's from your daughter's um, father? Was that what was that like? I, I'm going to say no support from daughter's father because he didn't have a lot of money. And uh, what I decided to do was was trying to get the right time frame. So no, I don't think I was working at the time, but I did. So I'll come into that. Well, I mean, of course, you were just a new mother. You just had a baby. Yeah. So I'm in. I'm in the unit. I'm not working. Paige, I remember Paige being in a pram at the side of the bed. I didn't have a cot. And I remember it was around the time Princess Diana died because that was on the telly one morning. So it was that year. Then I got my house, which I was absolutely over the moon with. Like my first it was a terrace house. Moved in there. Then I started. Sorry. Did people help you furnish it? Did you have support from your family, yeah. from the from, from the witnesses? Yes, they all helped with that, the move and everything like that. So that was nice of them. But then something had been ruined from this experience of being disfellowship. And I started to realise, I think I started to wake up then and realise what this religion was all about. Like it's all based on conditional love. You meet these conditions and we love you. You don't, and we don't love you, and I didn't like that. Do you think that was because you, you know, I I don't know about you, but I can safely say when I had my daughters, I fell totally and utterly in love with these beautiful little beings. Mm, yeah. I would have sold my soul for the, the to this day. Yeah. I, and, and so you experienced this love, right? When you... Yeah, and, I, and it was probably like, I don't want to raise her in this religion. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just reminded me that mum um, couldn't last long not talking to me and left the Jehovah's Witnesses pretty soon after, which is brilliant. She's out now. Um, and I've got an auntie that's come out. Um, the latest is a cousin last year. There's like one coming out a year. And I'm like, oh. keep coming, <laughs> keep coming. Um, my brothers aren't in it anymore. My sister's not, so... Do they all feel slightly damaged by this experience? Yeah, we're all damaged. Yeah. We all have regular therapy. And that's not just my family. I know other ex-Jehovah's Witnesses who are all damaged by what's happened to them. They need therapy and have mental health issues. So I feel angry when I say that. <laughs> so I still have, I still obviously have anger there. Yeah, let it out. Yeah. Right. Um, no, don't start screaming now. <laughs> <laughs> I won't, I won't. Um, so just going back to it, so mum mum must have felt that, you know, 
the feeling that a mother has towards a child as I did when I had paid as a baby that feeling that I don't want them to be part of this and there's no way that I'm not speaking to them for the rest of my life so then at that point I and I love this moment I called the elders to my house and told them what's the word it's not just fellowship I'm disassociating myself Mm. I'm leaving and I'm telling you I'm disassociating myself and then then what followed was I was stalked well um by a lot of Jehovah's Witness friends looking through my letterbox putting notes through trying to get hold of me phone ringing don't go don't go um as if I was dying um an elder actually followed me in his car when I was on a night out clubbing he'd just spotted me and saying I've we've sent you letters we want you to come to a meeting at the kingdom hall and I was like no I can't you came to my house I told you I'm leaving and that's it I'm not now coming to any meetings or doing anything that you say I'm leaving so I left and I think for a while again when it was announced that I disassociated myself there was a lot of people who didn't speak to me including I'm sure mum and everybody at the time but then um they start as I guess as I said they started leaving so I'm lucky probably half of my family's come out and I get to see them did you feel really good making that decision did you feel a sense of I'm growing here I'm really beginning to step into my own power I'm beginning to see that this brainwashing that has taken place is not a truth yeah I did feel good so when you asked me earlier did I feel liberated when I told my mom I was pregnant I was like no I felt terrible I felt the complete opposite here I did feel liberated and powerful and it was just like it was cut from that day there was a cutting and I'm very much like that in past relationships when I know a relationship's over and I say it's over on that day it's over it's like no <laughs> it's, it's done. Like you put yourself in a situation where you will take and take and take yeah yeah until you go this is no longer tolerable and it just yeah all right anymore and I yeah. have to disassociate yeah that's very much me so what so, happened then so you've got this you've got this baby girl you're now liberated well then I was like on a on a 20-year voyage of career 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 and providing and making sure you know that um, all the things that I've been told would happen when I left the Jehovah's Witnesses were a lie it was about proving <laughs> that uh, none of those things are going to happen so I enrolled in college from Paige being quite young baby and put her into the crash at the college did a load of IT administration and secretarial qualifications got a job at a hospital as an admin clerk and then from then on did lots more studying and working met Gary who I've been married to now for 12 years at the time that I met him I was um, working for a housing association and collecting rent he was in sales and uh, I moved up up here into Cheshire to be with him and uh, one day we were in a cafe and there was an advert for a sales person and he was like you should go for it and I said I've got no sales experience however the company that needed a sales rep 
sold the IT system that I was working with as a as a rent collector for this housing association. So he talked me through sales and the interview and everything, and I went for it. And they rang me before I got through back home to offer me the job. And Amazing. then from then on, I just built myself up with sales, sales, sales of IT systems until a year ago um, where I just had this moment where it was like, I'm, I'm so appreciative of the career and everything that I've learned, but now I feel like I want to do what my soul wants to do and not sell IT systems. I was finding it so boring. But that period, though, because I read when we had a conversation that, you know, you went from basically piercing people's ears on a market stall. Yeah, that was my very first job. To put to getting a, a six figure salary. You yeah. did, you did that all on your own. You're determined. Yes. And that is such amazing personal growth. What was driving you? Was it was it um, was it female empowerment or were you out to prove? What was driving you through that period? Very good question. I think it's a bit of both. There was definitely an element of I wanted to prove to the Jehovah's Witnesses that I'd left behind that you don't have to have that kind of life. Yeah. You know, it, it's all a load of baloney. It's, it, you can have such an amazing happy life and still be a good person right and, and still, still be good yeah and and still not get judged from the divine yeah universe. yeah and prove that you know i'm not evil because i've left and you know you don't have to have that controlled life like being told how to dress and you know you just don't you don't have to do it that was that was one of my main things the other thing was I was a single parent and I wanted to make sure I was providing for Paige. I wanted to be an example for Paige. Um, and it was about proving to myself that I can do it as well after being made out to be the failure that I was. And proving, you know, that the sin that I committed, which was sex before marriage, which is perfectly normal if you're watching this and you're Jehovah's Witness. Um, sex is a normal thing and you don't have to be married to have it to prove that by me committing that sin didn't mean I was going to have a life of doom absolutely you know absolutely. um and that's what drove me every day but I think the other thing is I absolutely love ambition and advancement and learning yes so every every job that I went to it was about what else can I take on what else can I learn and I also love challenge I love feeling the fear and doing it anyway. I love taking risks, which is all fits into sales um, perfectly. And I think also because your upbringing was so, um, or sounds as though it was so limiting in terms of experience, you suddenly, you know, set yourself free and were determined to experience everything, like the pushing yourself hard, the um, empowering yourself, the earning money, the treating yourself, the, you know, being a single mum and out there rocking it. You know, you just... You well, that was the other thing, Yara, yeah, was like, I wanted to prove that you can be a single mum and do all the things as well. Like, just because I, 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 I don't, you know had a baby and was raising a 
on my own and her dad was there um and seeing her but she was obviously living with me so I was on my own so I don't want to make out that her dad was an awful person he isn't um but everybody just expects a single parent to walk around with leggings on pushing the pram like you know like being a nobody and it, that's a load of absolute bollocks as well you mm. can be a very successful single parent now I was lucky I had the perfect baby and I still do have the perfect child I hardly had any sleepless nights oh. with her and it was an absolute ease raising her and it still is so I think I was blessed with um, the perfect child so that was lucky as well so what a period that was do you think um during this time working yourself up to a six-figure income um did you enjoy the process or were you totally consumed with 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 the proving and and actually the question that I'm really interested in is you know do you have you heard from what the elders or other Jehovah Witnesses now think about this journey that you've been on and you know if they knew if they now know what you've achieved do you know has that been talked about at all? No because there's never been any contact so I have no idea um how they feel I mean if they've heard now that I am (laughs) a psychic I mean, that was looked as devil stuff and evil, so they probably think even worse of me now. I might bring it on. <laughs> bring it on. Um, but just going back to, I can't remember how you phrased the question, but in every single job and every company that I worked at, imposter syndrome was a massive thing that I dealt with all the way through my career. I never felt that I, I should have been in those jobs. I was shocked that they hired me. And even in the last job that I had, I was like, I'm not good enough for this. But I just, every day, just put that to the back of my head and ploughed on. So it's now a case of really integrating that part that Rebecca is worthy of, is capable of, and is. So you did it, but now it's really... It's kind of really now about, well, I'm, I'm sure you probably have, but it's that it's really knitting that success within you that you that you are that person. Yeah. You don't have to pretend that that's an imposter or someone else. It is you. You have yeah. that. And really welcoming that within yourself, within, within every part of you, welcoming that, welcoming all of it. Mm. That's amazing. So yeah, then, so because now we've so we've gone into this from this amazing, you know, sort of um, saleswoman and huge income, single mom, learning so much throughout that journey. Actually, here's a question before we just move into this shift in career and this awakening process that you went through. What do you think you learned through that time from going from piercing ears on a market stall to being a six-figure earner, what if you were to look back at it and go, what did you learn from that? I think looking back, I could have got myself to the six-figure salary in half the time I did. Wow! Even though even though it was a quick journey, anyway, I think I could have. And you know, the one thing that could have got me there quicker was believing in myself. Yeah, self-belief. Yeah. I honestly think I could have done it in half the time now 
Um, but I was very careful. Didn't dare ask. I didn't, in the end, I was asking for the money that I deserved. <laughs> but I remember in some jobs, I'd be like grateful for the two and a half percent pay increase that you got once a year. You know, if I went back into that world now, they'd see a, a different Rebecca. I want to be paid what I deserved. There was, a, it, it's all about believing in yourself. Here's and a, this is, sorry, here's a question okay. on that subject. Do you believe in the gender pay gap? Uh, no, <laughs> not at all. Absolutely not. It should be equal pay for both genders. No, I mean, I mean, what I meant by that was, so my belief is that the gender pay gap doesn't exist. And I'll tell you why, because it comes down to what you as the soul and the person accepts. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. So right. what you had said there is you now realise you could have achieved that six-figure um, salary in, in half the time that you did. So the only person standing in the way of that achievement was you. Yeah. Not, not yeah, a- it wasn't to do with the fact that I was a female yeah. and paid less than a male. No, it was, uh, it was me yeah. not believing that I deserved One- that. 100%. And there's, I don't know if you've heard of Jordan Peterson. He's amazing. And I completely agree with his thought process, which is, you know, people talk about, you know, gender pay gap and men getting um, bigger salaries than women um, or, you know, women always coming up against struggle in having to beg for an increase. I completely disagree with all of that because... Mm-hmm. It's your energy and it's what you put out. And if you've attracted that situation, if ever I've tr- attracted a situation which is displeasing to me, it's never about the other person. It's mm. never about the situation. It's about me in relation to that situation. So mm. why have I attracted it? What is it teaching me and what do I need to change? Mm. And it's so true because, as Jordan Peterson says, um, I can't I can't remember which um, presenter or which news um, reader the interview was with, but basically she was saying that, you know, there is this gender pay gap and it's not fair to women and, you know, women never get the pinnacle position or they never get that ultimate, you know, the higher higher paid salaries. And he pointed out, you know, if you look at the few people in the world who really are at the level of, you know, they're at the top CEO position, um, it's them at the top, huge salaries. Even most men don't reach that salary. So mm-hmm. it's nothing to do with whether it's a man or a woman. It's that those particular people are willing to live a life that most people don't. So they're willing to invest in their belief, their personal development, their goal, their vision, their mission with such force and such discipline and such um, determination that's yeah. why they achieve that position I like that concept I like it yeah it's so amazing isn't it so mm. that's, so that's what I thought oh this woman can't believe in the gender pay gap because you know you said I now realize I could have done that in half the time that's yeah. amazing Rebecca I mean what growth that is yeah amazing. the other thing I want to say about my career progression was because of what's happened to me with this big rejection in the disfellowshipping, it turned me into a people pleaser and wanting to keep people liking me. Yeah. So 
I wouldn't have been in the in my early career the type of person that would go, no, that pay rise is not acceptable to me and I want £10,000 more. I would never have dreamed of saying that because I'd be like, what would they think of me if I said that? Yeah. And I might lose my job or, you know, from that day on, they might give me horrible jobs to do and never give me a promotion. That's exactly what my train of thought was like because I didn't want to be rejected again. So I definitely stayed in companies longer than I should. I definitely put up with awful bosses longer than I should. I have had some amazing bosses just to get that in there. Totally amazing. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people do this, like even at school, I wish I could go back as I am now and deal with that situation the way I would deal with it now. But then we would never learn, would we? No, and it's all part of the growth. You know, it's about being able to look back and say, wow, look how far I've come, you know. And and again, like we said earlier, it's not about the other person. It's not the other person being unkind or nasty. You attract into your life what you need to learn. It's as simple as that. And yes. when you get that, when you get that, you can go, ah, I do it all the time. I go, what am I being shown here? What am I being shown? I go, oh, I get it. And once you get it, yeah, the situation has almost disappeared. It, it diffuses. Yeah, a big learning for me was when I just talked about awful bosses that I allowed that bus to be awful. Of course, of course. Well, in fact, you even know, so some of the blame's on me. I let that, I let that behaviour happen to me and didn't challenge it. So when I realised that, I was like, wow. Yeah. And, and, and in a way, you know, you just attract, you know, what's within you is before you. And so when we attract these situations, I always say, so what am I doing that, why have I attracted that? What do I need? Is it boundaries? Is it self-belief? Is it worth? What What's going on within me that I've asked? I've asked for that situation to highlight something within me that needs to grow or needs to change. Mm-hmm. And you know what's so wonderful about when you come from that perspective? There isn't really any anger. I mean, sometimes you go, well, bloody hell. But, you know, but then there's this knowing that, yeah, okay, I asked for that experience because ultimately it's going to help me get to where I really want to go to. Mm, exactly. Which is amazing. Mm. So you did all that. You've grown tremendously. And then you had this another awakening where you started to feel, what, disillusioned in the corporate world and wanted something that was more enriching and more nourishing for you, would you say? what? Where did this yeah. career come from? So the niggles in my career probably began in the last five years where, you know, there was a lot of times where I was sat in really boring IT meetings in hospital with men in grey suits discussing, oh, God, it makes me feel bored now thinking about it. It probably reminded you of the elders. (laughs) Yeah, probably, yeah. And I just remember sitting, looking out the window, daydreaming and starting to really not, really feel like I'm not doing what I should be doing. Okay. Now, what had happened um, in 2013 is I must have started getting that niggle then. So I'd always been always been a person that went and got readings off mediums. And one of the mediums talked about a course, um, a psychic development course. So I went and did that. And in 2013, I ended up actually doing tarot readings in a little shop on a Saturday. So I'd do my sales job in the week, tarot readings on a Saturday. But at that time, 
it was either you couldn't combine the two it was impossible so it was either leave the sales job back then and do tarot reading full time or stay in the sales job and I chose to do the sales job so I stopped the tarot reading but over the years I still did my own spiritual development and started getting into meditation and that so I think that was a the beginning of it all starting then I decided I was going to be a counsellor so I did three years of training to be a counsellor um and an in-person centres therapy and I I was just getting to the final year and uh, when I was qualified I was going to build up my business and eventually leave my sales job so just before I got to the final year a load of things happened and quite big things so that stopped me from finishing the final year Uh, so what happened first we try and get it in order yes so my sister who won't mind me mentioning this because she talked about about it a lot publicly because she's an artist that's her painting there that she did for me um has has struggled with alcoholism okay and over the years there have been many terrible events where I've been in A&E a lot with her and that and tried to help her and I got a phone call from my brother to say she was trying to jump out of a bedroom window and kill herself. She was having another episode. So this was this was one of the events of many that happened. <laughs> to kind think, of... Sorry, do you think her um, alcoholism and was a, a, an escape from childhood, an escape to do with? Yeah, it was absolutely a result of our upbringing. Because yeah. I remember when Abby was younger. She used to get really upset about this Armageddon thing that we were being taught. There's a book called the Bible Stories book, which is specifically for children, written by Jehovah's Witnesses, and I can still remember the images in it. So the Armageddon images were big fireballs coming down from the sky and people going, ah. Um, So I remember when she was little, that was something that she used to have nightmares about, you know, so she's been majorly affected by this religion. So... On this night, I went over there, ambulance trip, um, and then mum and I decided to put her in rehab. And this was kind of like the last straw with us mm. um, on this with her. We just did not, we'd had years of it, and we just didn't know what we were going to do next. And she had two small children at the time as well. And we were thinking, what what's going to happen with the kids? Um, I had the children for a bit while she was in rehab. Now, the The um, good outcome of this story is since she came out of rehab, she has been sober for two years. Lovely. She's just married the guy that ran the rehab centre. Oh, that's nice. Um, He he obviously had to leave because of the relationship, so he's not there anymore. And he's been sober for like four years. They support each other. And her art business has just gone from strength to strength to strength and they're, they're just so happy and I'm, I'm so pleased about that amazing when you take your power back and stop putting it somewhere in in a substance or a behavior right it's amazing yeah, how yeah absolutely yeah absolutely so that was one of the things that so all these things led to me handing my notice in on my job that was one the second one was my first dog I'd ever had died well, it had to be put to sleep because of old age at 12. 
and I'd never experienced anybody dying that was close to me. And I still, this is still something that I am working on. Um, I didn't deal with it very well and bought my new dog Henry three days later after Sam died because I couldn't cope with the grief. Yeah. It was either by Henry or I don't know, didn't know what was going to happen. But then Henry got run over by two vehicles and nearly died as a puppy and then got a really bad virus and nearly died. So then I was going through, oh, my God, I've just lost a 12-year-old um, pet that I have this amazing relationship with and my puppy is going to die. I had all, all of that. This was in the same period. So he got run over while I was, while Abby's kids were living with me and she was in rehab. Yes, so you've got all this, yeah. Yeah, it was terrible. But I think these events happened for this thing to happen. Then the pandemic hit, and at that time, I can't believe it, I was in full fear over it, and I was actually making masks out of T-shirts. I was believing everything that was being said about it, and I was in complete and utter fear, and I thought, Walking Dead, that TV programme was happening. That I was in a right state. I and wonder, then <laughs> I wonder if that was a childhood memory coming through about the books Armageddon and so it had triggered this feeling that this is what's this is what's happening. Well yeah. I mean I've heard through the grapevine that the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that pandemic was like the beginning of the end, they still do. Um because there was there's a there's a verse in the Bible about pestilence in the end of days. So you know, that's been a big trigger for them, I think. I think they're all just waiting for Armageddon to come any day because of that. Um, but then while that was happening, one day I was working out with Gary and he stood up and he started getting all the stroke symptoms in his face. So tongue to the left, left side of the face and all. So he rushed into hospital, thought he was having a stroke and couldn't go in the hospital because of COVID with him. So I was sat in the car outside and I have to say that was the worst thing through this whole yeah. process of him being ill. Not was really. sitting in the car and we'd rushed and he hadn't got his phone and it had died. Oh. So I had to keep ringing the reception to check he was alive. That, that was the worst thing about the whole thing. And then over the next few weeks it kept happening. We had to keep calling ambulances and the, the scan showed it had a brain bleed. Now fortunately it was a really low grade brain bleed but he's not been able to return to work just because I think there's um speech problems so he, he gets the wrong words and um tiredness and headache so he's he was a sales director like me and uh you know he's had a big life change which he's still dealing with at the moment but all of those things happening in the space of six months in in the in a, a couple of months after all those things started happening, I had a dark night of the soul period. Well, especially when I realised it wasn't a stroke and Gary was going to be okay because what he has is called reversible vascular cerebral syndrome, which is where the blood vessels squeeze. Yeah. So it's reversible, except it hasn't reversed. He's still struggling with the symptoms now, but. He's got no, he's not going to die, basically. So as soon as I learned that he wasn't going to die, that's when I kind of had my mini breakdown. 
It's interesting, isn't it? Because if you look at so the situation with your sister, the pet dying, your your pet dying of 12 years, then the puppy nearly dying, then the fear of the pandemic, then um, the brain bleed for your husband. Um, it's almost like you were consumed with attracting fearful and fear, fearful events and grief. It's like the, the more you were in it, the more the universe was responding. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, true. Yeah. And it was just what broke the cycle? What what broke that? Was it was it you saying this is not going to happen anymore? What where did that lead you? Well, the first thing I did was went to the doctors, which was a mistake because he gave me antidepressants and beta blockers, which I've been on antidepressants before. But this time, a completely adverse reaction to me. Mm. They literally made me feel worse. It scared me to death, as in suicidal. And absolute place of no joy. I remember the day I sat in the garden, I thought, I'm going to have to stop taking it. Yeah. I haven't got this thirst for life that I naturally have. It was hideous. And anybody that feels like that on a daily basis, I... I can completely have compassion with them now because I've totally experienced that place. So I came off it and thought, I'll just book myself some therapy instead. And that's the thing that saved me, this amazing therapist. This is the third third therapist that I've been on and the third lot of therapy that I've found. And again, it was person-centred. That's my favourite type of therapy for me that works, which is just a talking therapy. You're not giving any actions or goals. And uh, I honestly think she's the one. I need to tell her this. She's the one that's responsible for getting me out of that phase because a lot of what we talked about was how I wasn't happy in my job. Yeah. And um, I'd started setting up Libra Lights on the side while I was finishing my job, and we had this conversation around, I'm too scared to tell my boss that, um, not that I've set this business up, but that I'm a spiritual person. Like, none of them had any idea. So this is um, you, again, feeling fear of being judged for who you are and what you like. and Yes. So and she you, was yeah. She was just really good at challenging me on what I was saying. Because I, I, I said, I can't tell him. He'll think I'm an absolute nostrum. And she went, but will he? Mm. Like that. And I was like, yeah, will he? I don't actually know. I'm just guessing that he will. So she was dead good at challenging me and so then I, I I didn't exactly tell him outright I just kept dropping hints and that and everything was okay I didn't lose my job and people didn't think I was enough and I was like wow and then as the therapy went on I and said I could you changed that's because within you you had changed yeah you determine the outcome ultimately we all determine the outcome ourselves yeah as you became more comfortable with that yeah so did everyone else yeah, amazing. Yeah, it is. And then I then I was saying to her, but I can, I could never leave my job because we can't afford it, and you know. But all I really want to do is leave the lights full time. And again, I, I don't know if she said it exactly like this, but it was like, but is that true? <laughs> she, I just thought, looking back now, it was absolutely amazing what she did. Um, then that that therapy finished. And then, so this is leading up now to the day that I handed my notice in, which is crazy. 
So Gary was no longer working. We had lost half of our income. I was the main income, the main earner. And, uh, but I was getting more and more miserable. And it got up to June the 10th, which is interesting because we're recording this podcast on the 8th. I know it's going out on the 10th, which is one year to the day that I handed my notice in, which is divine timing. Now, on that day, it was a cancer new moon. I will never forget this day and the fact that it was a cancer new moon. And it was as if the universe on that day pushed me to the to the brink of, like, doing what I did. So on that day, my daughter had told me that she was worried that her tyre was flat and she was due to go to work because she could hit and smell a burning smell. So I rang a guy to come out and check a tyre, but it wouldn't have been in time for her to get to work. So I drove her to work and I was late for a meeting with my boss. And uh, there was just all this stress going on 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 that day. Then I discovered she, when my husband looked at the tyre, it wasn't bold at all. The two tyres were different. So then I felt like, an idiot because the tire man was coming out and I was just everything was going wrong and then the energies of that cancer new moon were just so strong and now I'm actually scared of new moons when they come I'm like what's this one going to bring so strong that Gary walked into my office and I just burst into tears and said I can't go on doing this job and uh please can I have my notice in and obviously he was like no you're the only earner (laughs) no no it's ridiculous and I just completely ignored it and wrote wrote my notice up and sent it to my boss (laughs) and even though you know financially that was an absolutely ridiculous thing to do taking that leap of faith so what ensued then was a lot of arguments between me and Gary literally couldn't believe it. And he has got a fear thing around money that he needs, he, you know, that he's still working on now. But obviously we've got savings. Mm. So it wasn't like we were going to be out on the street and they're still helping us now. And he's completely done a, a reversal now and completely supportive um, of me. But it took a long time. and I'm not going to lie. There was a wobbly part of our marriage at that time but now it's like everything's just wonderful and after a bit all of a sudden we realized we need to change our lives drastically and we can now so you know I'm working mostly online and we were like why aren't we going and traveling and and things because I can still earn work from wherever yeah 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 why are we still in this massive five bedroom house when the kids have left and you know we're paying more money on bills because it's a a bigger house and why why don't we downsize the car I had a beautiful Jaguar F-Pace brand new sports why have we you know let's downsize that so we did all that sold the house got a second hand car we're now in a two bed flat couldn't be happier we went to Portugal six weeks and uh, now we are, the next thing we're doing is getting a camper van. 
so that we can just go and travel across Europe whilst I'm still working. Um, our lives are complete, completely different. We were both in high pressure sales roles and now we're just so relaxed <laughs> and just planning our next trip. Question for you though. Have you reached the point where you 100% believe and know that you can create more income than your six-figure salary in your corporate role by stepping into doing this new company that you've launched, which is Libra Lights, um, following your passion and your purpose? Do you realise that you, have you really sort of realised that, that you can earn quadruple by following your passion and your purpose? I'm getting there, if, if it's the honest answer. Um, I'm, I'm working with a coach at the moment. Um, it's very early days when we were setting my goal because I'm now training to be a spiritual life coach. So I get to work with, yeah. a, with a coach to experience what it's like. And my goal was to earn monthly what I was earning in my last corporate job. And then some. Yeah, well, that was the thing that I was limiting myself to earning what I was earning in my last job. But it's about not putting those limits on and realizing I could I could earn more than that. Yeah. And and now it's all about how we're gonna we're gonna get there. So we've been working on like new logo and writing my website up and with my spiritual life coach qualification, which will hopefully be earlier next year. There's gonna be packages where people can work with me for longer um so I've got a whole plan now of how I'm gonna get there but yeah I never used to imagine I just used to think I thought we'd we'd downsize the house the car and minimalize our outgoings and then when I've got that what that figure is I'll just earn that to cover that maybe savings pension sick pay and I'll be happy that's how I used to think, but now I'm like, no. <laughs> I think the thing is when we make these decisions sometimes, I think practically speaking, yep, downsizing, doing, if, if it's anything that can help you achieve a new goal, a new vision, a new service yeah. to humanity, you know, cutting your cloth accordingly for a period of time is great. But if you're cutting your cloth because you're coming from a base of fear, then you're cutting off the supply of money, then you're cutting off the supply yeah, exactly. of prosperity, then you're cutting off the supply of love, of life, of being in this incredible world that we're in. And I think, you know, we're all here. We all have um, a purpose for being here. We all have incredible, unique um, gifts and experiences to share with others. And I know 100% that the divine and that the energy of money wants to give so people mm. can experience. And um, I think it's amazing that you've now made that, you've made that sort of connection like, yeah, yeah, yeah this is actually just the beginning. Mm. So we change things to just give us a little bit of breathing space. But wow, what is round the corner? Mm. You're going to the world alight. Yeah. Yeah. What amazing growth, Rebecca. Amazing. Yeah, and I, I, I'm looking forward to a, a lot more growth. Yeah. And it's amazing how you 
attract money depending on what vibration you're in as well. Um, it, I find that unbelievable because I have been through since I got back from Portugal and into this new flat. There's been a lot of change. The flat needed a lot of work doing to it, and then obviously I'm I'm putting my roots down in a new home. Yeah. So I've been feeling a bit unsafe. Um, I've had acute vertigo and I've been in a brief trip to hospital I've had a bit of illness and I've, I've not been feeling myself I think the universe wanted me to do some healing as well I, I did some kinesiology and um, healing and I think I've had a little dark night as a soul and during that period my bookings went right down yeah. and then the past two weeks I'm kind of coming out of it and uh working with this coach and I'm running again and my bookings are coming in. Yeah. It's about um, finding your inner security. And sometimes, so when we, when we step into our own authority and, and this is the journey I'm on, I'm not saying I'm an expert at this for sure, but what I'm saying is, you know, it's about stepping into the, your own authority and your inner security. And when that is connected, when, mm-hmm. The world around you is going mad when when, you know, the chips are down and when everything seems so desperate, but you are calm and centered and in your security within. Mm. That's when it changes. That's how I how I've been feeling the last two weeks. I'm I'm back. My roots have gone down in this flat. (laughs) I'm stable. I'm like roaring and ready to go. And what a perfect place to end today's conversation. Mm. That's amazing. I I thank you so much for sharing your story and what determination. And and you know, and you haven't sort of basically said it has to be all sequins and diamonds and lights. You're willing to go on the journey, the ups, the downs, and mm. I'm sure I'll be having another dark night of the soul episode at some point in the future but please not for a while universe (laughs) well actually rather than universe say it to yourself yeah Rebecca for now I'm just quite happy where I am and I'm just remembering that just remembering that we all every single one of us and anyone listening here today every single thing that happens in our life we choose we choose that experience Mm -hmm. on an unconscious level and on a conscious level to teach us so we can grow Mm. and boy boy are you growing yeah and I think there's a there's a lot more to come and I'm looking forward to it I'm just excited excited and um, I'm just so glad that you invited me onto your podcast to share this story and I really hope it will inspire either you know Jehovah's Witnesses that are still in it that are listening that you know there is a life outside of it you can you can be successful and have a have a happy life and the other thing that's amazing is when you're you're in the Jehovah's Witnesses, I believe, um, that, you know, this life is all there is. But coming out and going on the spiritual journey that I have, this life is one of thousands yeah. that we've had or are going to have and that we're actually this unique soul that's got loads more experiences ahead of us. So, yeah, I hope that it's um, inspired people to realise that there's, there's more out there you don't have to be living controlled by a group or controlled by religion or controlled by fear yeah it's all about stepping into your own authority and Mm. your inner security and I guess that's a good message for 
anybody, whether it's a Jehovah Witness cult or another mm. cult where they, or even just a relationship where they're being held back and controlled, mind controlled. Mm. By Good a point, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. What you've shared has been incredible and very authentic and I thank you and what I'd like to do is in the episode information is put your new business your your website your links and where people can reach out to you on social media so they can Mm -hmm. send you a message and or book a session with you on a one-to-one and just stay in touch Rebecca stay in touch and let us know how you're doing we'll get you back on the show because if anybody is up for learning and experiencing it's you Mm, definitely (laughs) yes thanks for having me you're so welcome it's been a pleasure wow what an incredible conversation that was so heartfelt and authentic and just raw you know just vulnerability and honesty and gosh I sincerely hope that you enjoyed listening to Rebecca's um, story and her personal journey that she took us on and if there's any listeners out there who would like to connect with Rebecca to find out more about her work now and to or even just to chat further with her or to book a one-to-one session I'll link all the information in today's episode resources and you know I'm sincerely thankful to her for coming on the show. Next week I'm going to be doing a solo episode on how to know if you're on your right on the right path in life and how working with this sort of work with working on your personal and emotional development can help you to find your passion and your purpose and just bring great happiness into your life. So be sure to join me and tune into that. As always, I wish you the most wonderful weekend. Wherever you are and whatever you're doing, please remember how truly magnificent you are and how beautiful you are and how much incredible strength you have within you. I really look forward to connecting with you next week. For now, much love.